morning. Again, that's Psalm, Psalm 37. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will wither, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. But their swords will pierce their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of the many wicked, for the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. This is the word of the Lord. It's not easy to get up here today. I got stung on my way up and uh, almost hit some coral and <clears throat> pause for laughter. Um, have you ever seen, there's a great far side, sorry, this is my favorite far side, do you guys remember far side comics? It's showing the back of Abraham Lincoln's head and he's got a manuscript in front of him and the manuscript says, uh, so the bartender said, uh, no, no, what is it? It's like, oh yeah, the, something like the bartender said, You've got a drink named Jack, and then parentheses, pause for laughter, and then four score and seven years ago. <laughs> so good. Uh, I thought about doing a one-off on Jonah today, um, but we're going to stay. There's actually a psalm in the middle of the book of Jonah. You may not know this. In the belly of the whale, uh, Jonah pens a psalm, and uh, it's one of the psalms, and so we could have gone there, but um, we're going to stay with our psalm series. All that being said, tough start, um, but Good morning. Good to see you all. <laughs> Welcome to the sea. Um, uh, if you haven't been around, we, we are going through uh, a summer series on the Psalms, uh, looking at these Psalms of the heart where we see every possible human emotion and human experience brought before the Lord in prayer. And before we go into the Psalm, I, I, a couple years ago, actually like 10 or 15 years ago, I read a book, uh, uh, Walter Brueggemann wrote a book called The Message of the Psalms. And he, um, he puts the Psalms into three Three categories. There's a ton of different types of psalms, but he says there's basically three types of psalms, and, and here they are. Um, you've got psalms of orientation, okay? 
So Psalms of Orientation, life is good, God is on his throne, things are working the way they're supposed to be working. There's a lot of Psalms like that. And you, you, you know, God is providing grass for the, for the cattle and, and wine for human beings and, you know, he's, everything is, is right and good. And we have times in our lives where we experience times of everything feels oriented the way it's supposed to be oriented, right? Uh, and then there's also uh, Psalms of Disorientation where everything feels upside down, where life isn't going the way it's supposed to be going, and uh, God doesn't seem to be reigning in ways that we think he should. And we've actually spent the last, I don't know if you realize this, the last three weeks, we've been looking at psalms of disorientation. Uh, Three weeks ago, we looked at our own sin within us that can be very disorienting. Uh, We looked at grief and lament, and then last week, we looked at anger uh, and bitterness, these really disorienting experiences. And there's a lot of psalms about that. And then you have psalms of reorientation, right? You come out of a, a, a season of upheaval, and then things are brought right again, and you feel reoriented. Or you have psalms that are trying to reorient you around the truths of who God is and, um, and what he does in this world. And I would say today we're going to look at a psalm of reorientation, okay? where there's an issue that is potentially disorienting. Uh, there's an emotion that's disorienting, but the psalmist is trying to reorient us around truths. And what he's trying to do is reorient us around perspective, if I could use that word. This psalm is all about perspective. Let me reorient your life around the proper perspective. And we didn't read the whole psalm, but verse 25, David says, I was young and now I'm old, Okay. So this was penned by David late in life. Here's a man who has seen so much, has a lot of perspective, the wisdom of the years. He's seen just about everything under the sun. And he says, let me, let me reorient you around the bigger perspective. I want to try to pull your, your head out of the weeds, pull your head out of the fog, get you above the clouds today and see the horizon and reorient your life around God and the bigger perspective. Okay, so that's what this psalm uh, is all about. And, um, you know, what my goal is at the end, I want to give us just a little bit of space with verses 3 through 7, uh, just a little bit of re- reflective space. There's these wonderfully reorienting invitations, like trust in the Lord and do good, uh, commit your way to the Lord, delight yourself in the Lord, right? Be still and wait patiently. These are probably the most famous lines of this psalm. And I want to get us there and give you some time just to sit with those invitations and where does your soul need to hear one of those invitations today. Um, But before we do that, I've got a big setup to get you there and just to give you the context of this psalm, all right? All right, so let's look at this psalm. Uh, The psalm, right in verse 1, confronts us uh, with an emotion that that is very disorienting and it's fretting, Okay. Three times, David is going to tell us in this psalm, don't fret. Verse 1, right? Do not fret. Look at verse 7, halfway through verse 7. Do not fret. And the second half of verse 8, do not fret. Three times. And this is what I want you to hear this morning. Where does your soul need to hear this? Don't fret. Don't fret. Don't fret. Okay? I want to help you understand what I think David means by fretting in this psalm. So that the Hebrew word for fret here has at its root this idea of to burn or to kinder to get hot. 
So in a modern way, we might say, David's saying, don't get all hot under the collar, okay? Or I like putting this way, don't get your dander up, right? Don't, don't, don't get all hot, don't get all bothered, okay? And if you look at kind of how fret is used, you'll see like in, in verse 1, fret is paired with being envious, okay? So there's something about fret that's like envy. Uh, in verse 7, fret is actually contrasted with being still and waiting patiently. So there's a, sort of a restless impatience to this, this fretting. And then in verse 8, um, it's paired with anger and wrath, okay? So by fretting, we're talking about that, that angry or anxious or envious, uh, restless posture that we have inside when we observe certain things. And in this psalm, the things that you're observing is the success of the wicked, okay? Right? Look at verse, verse 1. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. So this, the context originally of this psalm is when people observe the prosperity of the wicked, when evil people are succeeding in their ways, they're carrying out their evil schemes, and it's working. They're being successful with it, and it feels unfair and unjust. And righteous people are observing this in the land, and the temptation is to fret, to, to get our dander up, to be angry, to be frustrated, right, to be anxious and restless. Uh, so before I go on, I, I'd like to just pause and give us some time to reflect on our own lives, and I want to ask you, uh, where are you fretting these days? Uh, and some of us uh, in this room are professional fretters, <laughs> right? Uh, some of us are, are almost paid to fret. Um, but where, where is your heart fretting? Where are you anxious? Where are you angry? Where are you envious? Okay, and, and let me give you maybe three contexts to think about. First, uh, personal, your personal life. Where, where do you fret when you see the prosperity of others? Okay, so let me give you some examples of that. Like, um, maybe you like your home. You think your home is perfectly great, right? Uh, but then you go to a dinner party at someone else's home, and it's a really nice home. And you come home from the party, and you walk into your home, and now there's fretting. <laughs> there's, right? There's a, there's, oh, I was, I don't like my home as much as that. There's, a, there's something I'm feeling that is restless, that is envious, that's stirring in me. Or you had a, you, maybe you had a good day and you're going to bed and then you hop on your Instagram and you're, you're looking at these exotic vacations that people are taking to Europe or places like Zambia of all places, you know, or, um, or Hawaii. Uh, and all of a sudden you're feeling, oh, I'm, I'm fretting. I feel my heart fretting. I had this interesting experience recently. A friend and I were together and he, we went online, he pointed out that a guy we went to high school with is, um, he is now the CFO of a massive company that you all would know well, okay? And, and I, that kind of stuff, I, I go to bed, and I, I thought I was fine when I woke up that morning. <laughs> but I go to bed, and there's a fretting. There's a, what have I done with my, what have I made of myself? What have I done with my life, Okay? That's the, that's the kind of, and, and all those examples, those, those weren't even evil people we're talking about. They, they're just maybe wealthier or luckier or more competent than we are. But it's even harder when you observe wicked people 
succeeding, right? You can imagine what that stirs. So there's personal, okay? How about professionally? Where is their fretting? And I'm thinking, where, where do you experience maybe someone in your company who is advancing beyond you because they're willing to do things that you're not willing to do? They're willing to play a game that you don't think you should be playing, let's say. Or where are their competitors who get business that you would have loved to get because you know, right, that they're, they're willing to, to play a game that you don't think you should be playing, and they advance, and they, they move on, they succeed, and you feel like, I missed out for trying to be faithful here. And there's a, there's a fret that can come from there. There's an anger, right? There's a frustration. Personal, I got three Ps. I don't normally do alliteration. Personal, professional. Um, and then how about political, okay? And this is probably maybe the most obvious one we can think of uh, in recent years um, where maybe you, you look out at your, your nation and you see evil people succeeding, let's say, or you see policies that you think are evil being enacted or, or language that feels totally wrong being promoted, okay? Whatever it might be. And I would just say, I, you know, in my lifetime, I have never seen so much political fretting as I have in the last, you know, five, six, seven years as things have gotten so polarized. But I, I was just, I was reflecting on this this week. Um, think back 10 years ago, okay? Can you have imagined 10 years ago that within about seven or eight years, uh, the Supreme Court would legalize same-sex marriage and overturn Roe v. Wade. Like, I'm not sophisticated politically. I didn't see that either of those coming. I could not have imagined that both of those things could happen within about eight years of each other, right? I mean, that's massive stuff. And so there's, that comes with all sorts of fretting, right? Eight, eight years ago, that decision came with all sorts of fretting, anxiety, Anger, right? Desire to not knowing what to do with it. And then in recent months, you have another decision. Now you have a completely different group of people who are fretting, who are angry, right? Who, are, who have a lot of anger or fear, just lots of fretting. And, um, you know, political fretting is, is perfect for this psalm because it's that combination of anxiety and anger, right? Anxiety and anger, that's what we usually we usually feel, feel. and unfortunately, um, I think churchgoers haven't always conducted themselves well in the midst of that fretting, whether it's political or professional or personal, okay? And you could add your, you know, where else is your heart fretting, okay? That's what this psalm is all about. And um, it's obviously calling us out of fretting. It, it, this, this psalm wants to be like this balm over our souls. It says, you don't have to fret. <laughs> fret not. Verse 8 says, fret not. It leads only to evil. <laughs> fretting brings no good into your life. And most of us could attest, yeah, fretting never did me any good. I think Je someone like Jesus once said, right, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life or a single inch to your height or whatever he said there, right? It's, I'm 6'2", so I think he said the inch to your height thing. I, I can't remember which, which it is, but um, it doesn't do any good, right? So this psalm is, is written to people who are tempted to fret. They're in the land, they're seeing evil prosper, and they're disoriented by what they're observing. And what the psalm wants to do is reorient us 
around, as I said at the beginning, perspective, okay? Let me give you the bigger perspective, David says, as a man who's been around the block a few times. And this is the perspective he wants to give us. In the end, the wicked will fail, and the righteous will inherit the land, okay? That's what this psalm is all about. In the end, the wicked will fail. As prosperous as they look now, the wicked will fail, and the righteous will be the ones who inherit the land. So let me, let me just show you these, because we didn't get to read through the whole psalm, but in so many different ways, it says the wicked success in the end is so short-lived. Let me give you a couple of things he says about the wicked. Like grass, they will soon wither, right? Up here today, gone tomorrow. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Oops. Uh, the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their days. He looks at the arrogance of the wicked and he just laughs. He knows what's coming. Uh, the wicked, I love this one, the wicked draw the sword, but their swords will pierce their own hearts. Wickedness over time has a way of turning on itself, right? Wickedness eats its own tail, we might say, uh, today. Uh, like the flowers of the field, they will be consumed. Uh, he's saying, don't fret, don't be envious of the wicked, because in the end, there's nothing about their situation that's actually enviable, <laughs> okay? Do not be jealous. Don't be envious. There's nothing enviable about their ultimate situation. It's so short-lived. And in contrast to that, the righteous will inherit the land. And, and you haven't read through this psalm in its entirety, and it takes like two or three readings, I think, to realize the central theme of this psalm is asking the question, who inherits the land in the end? And let me just show you this. Like six different times this phrase pops up. Those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. The meek will inherit the land. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land. Uh, turn from evil and do good, doesn't use the word inherit here, but then you will dwell in the land forever. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. Okay, I get it, David. This psalm is about who will inherit the land. And it's the meek, it's those who hope in the Lord, it's those who turn from evil, it's the righteous, it's those who keep his way. This whole psalm is about who, in the end, inherits the land. Okay, now, original context. This is the Old Covenant, right? David is writing 1000 B.C.-ish. And, um, you know, God had given Israel the land of Israel, that geographical space, right, as a lasting possession, as part of the covenant. I'm giving you this land. But in the Old Covenant, staying on the land was always contingent on obedience, right? That was the covenant. You obey me, keep my ways, worship me. Don't worship the gods of the other nations. Pursue love and justice and peace and fairness in the land, and you will inherit the land. If you do not do these things, you will be disinherited from the land. I will kick you off of the land, and you will be exiled into other lands. And so, um, David is, is seeing the righteous. They're, they're looking out, and, and it seems like the wicked are the ones kind of dominating the land at the time. And David's reminding them, don't fret. In the end, the wicked will be removed from the land. And God has given this land to the righteous. Those who hope in him, the gentle, the meek, the humble, 
all of that. So, so don't fret. Remember in the end who inherits the land, the meek, the righteous, the faithful, the trusting, right? Those who wait on the Lord. All that to say, you're tempted to play the game that these evildoers are tempted. Don't play their game. In the end, you will win. You will inherit the land. That's what God has, has said for Israel, okay? Okay, you with me on that? So what's really interesting to me, especially as New Covenant Christians, is um, what Jesus does with this psalm, which is, of course, to quote this psalm, but he expands the perspective of this psalm, uh, the geographical location and the time perspective of the psalm in the Sermon on the Mount. So he begins the Sermon on the Mount with a series of blessings, right? And one of them says this, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That is a direct quote, right, from verse 11, right? The meek will inherit the land. I've been reading Jesus lately. He plagiarizes all the time. <laughs> like, honestly, he, like, he doesn't have an original bone in his body. It, it, it's, it's, like, it's almost like you can't understand him without understanding the Old Testament, okay? Hint, hint, right? Uh, it's wild how often he quotes from the Psalms. Beautiful. But notice what Jesus does. This psalm says the meek will inherit the earth, uh, the land, meaning the land of Israel. Jesus has extended that, meaning not just the meek will inherit the land of Israel, the meek will inherit the whole earth, right? He's talking about new heavens, new earth. Kingdom of God, when Jesus returns, right, the new Jerusalem coming down into heaven, a new earth where, where people will live with God forever, right? Now the dwelling place of God, this is Revelation, will be with people. God will no longer dwell up there only. Finally, he will come down in the new heavens and new earth, and he will dwell with us here. That's the earth that Jesus is talking about. And who's going to inherit that earth? Jesus is saying, well, not the greedy, not the powerful, not the arrogant, not those who take what they want by force. But that earth is, is reserved for the meek, the humble, or in the Beatitudes, the merciful, right? The peacemakers, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Okay, now talk about perspective, okay? That's the eternal perspective. This is who inherits everything. And, and what both... Jesus and David in the psalm are trying to do, I would say, is give us a, a reorientation, and they're trying to, to, to take us from maybe a scarcity mentality to an abundance mentality, I would say, and you're familiar with those terms, right? This, there's a scarcity mentality that says um, limited resources, it's a zero-sum game, and there's winners and there's losers, and so it's a fight for the land, it's a race to the top, right? We've, we've got we've to win this, and, and there's a scarcity, and, and they're trying to take us to an abundance mentality. It says, if you look at the big perspective, <laughs> it's all yours. Like, the Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. The kingdom prepared since the foundation of the world that he has prepared for all eternity, he will give this to you. You are set to inherit so much wealth and land and authority and blessings and joy for all eternity. As Paul says, all things are yours in Christ one day. <laughs> okay, that's an abundance perspective, though delayed. 
to an extent. But that's both, both Psalms are trying to say that. Step back and remember who inherits the land in the end. And so what I want us to consider this morning is, it's, I know it's hard to keep that big perspective. It's kind of not a sexy idea, but it, it's real. But what if, we, what if we started living as if we believed that? Right? Like, how, how would I live today if I know, um, in the end, everything is coming my way? <laughs> like, literally. In the end, I, I am so wealthy. And I have such good stored up for me because I've put my faith in Jesus Christ that, that I am set to inherit the entire world where I will rule and reign with Jesus and my friends, the family of God, forever. How would that change my heart now? How would that change how I navigate things? And what it wouldn't mean is that I stop caring now, it wouldn't even mean that I stop fighting for important things now. It would mean I stop fretting, right? I stop worrying all the time. Personally, right? When I watch people succeed beyond me and have more stuff than me, I don't have to fret that. That's, that's not the game I'm in. I'm not in it for the riches of this world, right? And the pleasures and the comforts. That's not, that's not where my hope is. Or professionally, right? When I see people move beyond me for, because they're willing to play the game. Well, that's not, that's not what I'm about, right? I'm, I'm, I'm simply trying to take the gifts that God has given me and use them for the common good. I'm trying to be faithful to what he's given me. And he's going to decide where I, I fall here, but this, I'm not fighting for this pecking order in this life. What, that's not where my hope is laid up. Or even politically, right? I, I want to fight, I want to, there's a righteous fight to be had for this place. Um, but in the end, this, this place isn't my home, right? Whether it's the land of Israel or the land of America, wherever. No, there's, there's, another, there's another place that I have. And, and I think I, I, I want to speak especially to the political because it's so relevant. I think we all feel that. Um, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes it feels like there's only two political options. Like... Um, I can either really engage this and fret a lot, or I'd prefer not to fret. So my other option is I could, or I can check out and just kind of disengage and keep my head in the sand and not fret. <laughs> right? Those, those are, I'm tempted to think those are the two options. And I think this psalm says, no, there's a third option, which is engage and don't fret. <laughs> or to use the language of the psalm, trust in the Lord and do good. Right? That, that's the third option that David invites us into. Don't, don't fret and do good. There's a righteous fight to be had for this land of America, if I can speak to that thing, right? Um, but remember who inherits the land in the end. Those who fight in a way that is meek. So figure out that. How do we fight <laughs> in a way that is meek? Those who, who work and strive in a way that is a hoping and trusting in the Lord, right? Uh, those who delight in the Lord himself, not in the pleasures or the riches or the powers of this world. Th those are the people that inherit the land, the earth, in the end, right? So we, we fight, we work, um, but we cannot play 
by the same rules that the world plays. I, I, I couldn't, I, I was thinking of an old soccer coach I had, uh, and I, many of you probably had a coach who said this at some time, and I remember, remember him saying, um, remember, we play hard, but we don't play dirty, right? We play hard, but we don't play dirty. And um, I think that is partly what this psalm is, is about, right? You, you fight for the good. You work hard, right? But you don't play dirty. We choose kindness and civility, <laughs> right? Faithfulness. We speak the plain truth. We don't slander. We don't manipulate. We don't fabricate. We're humble. We're loving. Uh, we seek the good of the land, but always in a way that bears witness to the fact that, but we actually belong to another land. And we fight this fight in a way that shows we belong to this land that's coming one day, not this land that's here. So, do not fret. All things are yours in Christ. You have so much good coming your way. All right, so that's my long setup. And I'm going to step aside. No, I, I want to just leave you with, you know, this, I, I love the invitations of this psalm. And so I thought what I'd do is I'd just put each one up on the screen and give you a, a moment to just let it minister to you without offering much of my commentary on it. Um, let me just put them up there. And, and I guess my invitation would be, where are you fretting? right now. It might be political, it might be professional, it might be personal. And maybe one of these invitations of David is exactly what your heart needs to hear right now, okay? So maybe it's this. Trust in the Lord and do good. Maybe that's, maybe that's the political one for you, like, I'm so frustrated, I just want to disengage, or what do I do? And maybe your answer is, you know what? Trust in the Lord and keep on doing the right things in this. Maybe it's personal. Trust in the Lord and do good. Famous line, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, when we're struggling with envy, right, I gave you some examples of that early on, um, which we all struggle with, that's almost all, envy is almost always an indication <laughs> that I'm not delighting myself in the Lord himself. There's some other worldly delight that I'm wanting that someone else has more than me. And the solution is always, I believe, to go back to the Lord and say, no, God, you're my treasure. I need to delight in you. And as I do that, the desires in my heart will begin to change. Right? So maybe you need to hear that one. Delight yourself in the Lord. Uh, commit your way to the Lord. I love that. You know, sometimes um, we get an idea in our mind and we run with it and then we pray that God would bless it, right? And uh, that happens professionally, personally, and politically, right? And um, what would it look like to have a thought and go, God, I want to I wanna commit this to you before I enact it. Is this what you would have me do? Is this the right action to take? Is this the right thing to say, right? I want to surrender my way to you. And then finally, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Where is there a restlessness? Where are you a part of something that you've been wanting it to change or to move and it's just so slow? And maybe you need to hear that word, be still.
So let me just give you 30 seconds or so of silence. And I would encourage you, maybe just one of these is a word for you today. The Spirit is like, this is what I have for you today. And then I'll close us in, in prayer.